0: What up, guys? This is The Chase Down. I'm J.P. Carey, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's up, guys? And today, we're going to be having a grass is always greener episode, and what we mean by that is we're going to talk about the top eight teams in each conference and just kind of give our thoughts on how they've been playing so far this season and see if we see any weaknesses or strengths and maybe project forward what they can do later in the season. So, We're going to start off with the Western Conference and the number one seed, the Lakers. Ben, you want to take this from me?
1: Yeah, sure. So the point of these episodes are basically going to be just to nitpick as much as we can what these teams are doing wrong. Uh, It's sometimes tough when the Lakers, it's a tough team to really nitpick what are they doing wrong when they're the first seed by a pretty good, they've had a pretty commanding first place lead the whole time. But It's been kind of obvious if you've watched the games that LeBron and AD are not playing at 100%. And if you watched them lose to the Warriors yesterday, the lack of effort from those guys was so obvious. LeBron did not have a great game and he didn't really care. Like his first three quarters, he's just kind of going through the motions. There's not a lot of effort at all. And that's rubbed off on AD a lot. So that's been my biggest critique of them so far.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. It's so obvious, and it's kind of, like, it's interesting because that game flipped in the fourth quarter, and, I mean, the Lakers were kind of dominating the first half, like, easily, honestly. It looked like the Warriors couldn't really get anything going, but then it flipped in the fourth, and that's usually when LeBron and AD kick it up, but like you said, like, the effort isn't really there, and I don't really fault them just because of the bubble and how little time they've had to rest their bodies, but at the same time, they're they have the best record in the league. If they can only put in seventy five percent effort and still attain that, why not? Just yeah, keep
1: it? yeah. That's it's totally fair, um, especially when there's no fans in the actual stands. Uh, there's no sort of instant response from these guys not putting an effort. Like you might get flame for it on Twitter, but if you put this sort of effort in, in a regular season, you might get booed from Lakers fans um, <laughs> or at least they'll, they won't be happy. I don't know if Lakers fans are the type to boo their own.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, they've kind of just been able to get away with playing mediocre or playing just like with a B or C level effort. They've also just, Been getting unrealistically good shooting from KCP and Kuzma. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's definitely not going to continue. I still think that this team isn't near what its potential is as a lineup. Like they haven't put in a lot of minutes with AD, LeBron, and Montrez at the same time. Um, And I don't know if they will or not, but there's it really seems like there's still a lot of growth for this team to make.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. It's so early on in the season, and there are still new pieces on this team, like Dennis Schroeder, Marcus Tall, uh, Montrez Harrell. Like, all three of those players are new p- pieces, and same with Wes Matthews, too. So as the season progresses, there's only going to be more and more chemistry, and I think the kinks that we may see in the game, the games they play now might not be there later on in the season. Um, Something I want to touch on just briefly because we are nitpicking these top teams in the league is the difference in Marcus Gasol and Dwight Howard slash JaVale McGee. Um, I I'm, I'm not worried, but I'm interested to see how the level of athleticism changes how the way they play defense, right? Because throughout the regular season, they were using JaVale and they were using Dwight last year. And that's what got them to the number one seed in the West last year. Um, but this year it's Marc Gasol, who's not nearly the athlete that those two were defend. Like even though his defensive IQ was amazing and he's a former defensive player of the year, and he's kind of just been known in the league as like one of the best defending big men without the athleticism, to jump up and block shots like that, like, like a JaVale or like a Dwight. It's interesting to see if they'll play AD at the five more this year than they did last year.
1: Yeah, I think that's, uh, I would really like to see that. I think that's best for them when Montrez isn't on the floor. Um, or I think it would be best for them to have neither Montrez or Marcus all on the floor and just have AD at the five. AD has shown a lot that he doesn't want to do that. Yeah. Um, but I haven't really, Marcus Gasol, you clearly give up a lot, especially in the pick and roll, because Marcus Gasol can't step up to guard any guard in a pick and right. roll. Um, but they have been top five. The Lakers have been top five in rebounding. They have been top five in holding their opponents to low field goals. They're one of the best defensive teams. So, so far, it seems like it hasn't really been a problem. Um, it's weird the lack of effort games that I've seen from LeBron and AD are more for home games than for road games they put more effort into the road games and that's been really strange to see it almost seems like because they know they're the better team they just and they're already at home and they're relaxed they just don't care so much about like kicking into into fourth gear when they need to but even despite that their first seed So how much can you really say?
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And we're talking about how LeBron and AD are putting in sub effort. LeBron's still averaging 24, 8, and 8, and AD's averaging 21, 9, and 3. So they're still, like, dominating games with the effort they're putting in. So even though we're here to kind of nitpick and maybe – point out some concerns about the teams that are at the top of the league. It's hard to choose against the Lakers because we know they're sitting back and waiting for the games to become closer to the playoffs. So it's, it's hard to nitpick them right now.
1: Yeah. I think the, the only thing I'll say last is that their schedule has been pretty easy so far. Um, They haven't, they've only faced really good teams like maybe six times they lost to the Clippers. They lost to Portland. Uh, they lost to the Warriors who aren't on their level, but they've had a lot – like their schedule has been really easy, so the 11-4 and four isn't surprising based on the how, who they've played so
0: far. Yeah, so we'll keep an eye on how the effort looks later down the season and see if a tougher schedule will impact their win percentage. But uh, the next team I want to talk about is the Clippers. Um, I'll take this one. As a huge Kawhi Leonard fan, I'm a little disappointed. And I noticed this in the bubble and last year. He is passing off witches on pick and roll. And he, in my opinion, he's the greatest perimeter defender ever tied with Scottie Pippen. Um, And for someone that good at defense to just so nonchalantly just pass off the main guy to like a Marcus Morris or like a Pat Bev, it kind of drives me crazy. And that's what's made him his tenacity on defense and just willingness to rip the ball from anyone is what made him my favorite player for so many years. But for many months now, I've just been seeing him. Like if there's a pick in the way, he won't even fight it. He'll just switch it off to Pat Bev. And then it's up to Pat Bev to stop a guy who's like six inches taller than him. So it it drives me a little bit crazy, but there's not a lot to say about this team either. They're shooting at an, an incredible rate. Like all their three point shots are going in. Uh, Paul George, we, he was much maligned in the bubble last year. Like everyone made fun of him playoff P pandemic P like he, he was probably the most hated player in the bubble. Um, And now he's come out like we predicted and just kind of lit the league on fire. Um, He's playing unbelievably shooting above 50% from three. And I don't know the, I don't see too many issues with them, even though I'm not, in love with the way they play defense, despite their individually talented defensive players.
1: Yeah, I, that was a, a lot of good points. They have been pretty great to start the year. Uh, Kawhi is another dude who's put it in limited effort into the regular season. And as much as I want to see full effort, I can't blame any of these guys. Like I can't blame AD and LeBron either for putting in limited effort. When you're judged only on how well you do in the playoffs, you save your energy for the playoffs. Um, But besides, besides that my biggest critique of the Clippers so far is that they seem like a better team when Lou Williams is not playing. Um, I, I was low on him watching the Clippers in the playoffs because he's a defensive liability. And when he's not hitting shots, he's a net neutral. He's a net negative on your team. And it seemed like throughout the start of this season that they don't need him on the team anymore. They don't need his scoring and they lose out by his lack of defense. Uh, So that's been my biggest critique of them so far.
0: So to answer that, this is something I saw coming ever since the reports of chemistry being off in the locker room and the new era didn't combine well with the old era. Um, Ever since I saw those reports and Lou Williams' debacle in the bubble, I had a feeling they would probably try to phase him out of the lineup this year or maybe just drop him entirely. And I think that was a big reason on why they signed Luke Kennard. I think they're paying him to be the next Lou Williams. And I think this is the year Lou Williams gets like traded or cut, whatever it needs to be. But I think they're going to phase Luke Kennard into that role. I think that would suit him. Honestly, Luke Kennard has been a little
1: bit inconsistent, but he had 20 points on five of eight shooting in their last game. He's shown flashes that he can handle that. Um, and his defense is so much better, even if he's not shooting than what Lou Williams brings you um my other thing for the clippers is i'm just not sure how sustainable their shooting is paul george is shooting 51 percent from three on eight attempts a game which is incredible and like i've loved seeing that from him but there is no way that that keeps up um I, he's a really, really good shooter. So if there's anyone that could rival like a Steph Curry shooting season around like 45%, Paul George may be able to do it, but it's not staying at 51% for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah so that's a great point. I don't think 50%, 51% is sustainable at all. Um, but I think even if it drops down to something like 42%, 41%, that's still an elite three-point shooter, and you're just going to factor in some off games and just, like, where he's missing everything. So if he's just – if he shoots at an elite level the entire season, and I don't know, you can rebuttal this if you think I'm wrong, but I'm starting to see what I saw in OKC from Paul George, whereas even though, like, Kawhi is the number one option, and while he was in OKC, Russell Westbrook Westbrook was probably the number one option – it feels like Paul George is like playing just as well, if not better than the quote unquote number one option.
1: Yeah. 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 I think Paul George offensively uh, is better on his best days than Kawhi Paul George, because he's just such a smooth shooter. He can go eight for 10 from three in a game and make it look normal. uh, Like effortless almost. Um. So, yeah, he's definitely the better offensive player than Kawhi, and especially when Kawhi is not putting in the level of effort on defense that you expect from him. Paul George can beat him out some games there. Um, Yeah, even even if he has an okay shooting night, they're still probably going to get the win. The one thing I've seen is that when either one of Paul George or Kawhi is out, this team is still struggling, and that will probably continue through the season.
0: Yeah. And that doesn't shock me too much. I mean, they're two of, I know Kawhi is a top five player. I don't know where people put Paul George considering his bubble performance, but he's, we can all agree. He's an all-star level player. He's an elite player in the league. Um, But yeah, if if they're missing one of those guys, they do struggle. Um, Maybe the addition uh, with Marcus Morris coming back, maybe that's not as the drastic difference as it would be if he was still out, but. We'll keep an eye on the Clippers throughout the season. They look pretty good. No huge uh, disagreements with what they're doing. So uh, let's move on to the Jazz. Uh, ben, what do you think about them? I They're a fun team to watch, man. Um,
1: my complaint with the Jazz is that I don't think they have really gotten much better from last year. Um, Conley has been looking really good. He's been shooting really well from three, but they are the the issue I see with them is they have a lot of turnovers and not a lot of assists, uh, which is I don't know not surprising because Conley's really their main distributor. Donovan Mitchell's a pure scorer. Gobert is not somebody who can pass very well, but. I don't know that there's much to complain about with the jazz as a team. The thing that I think I would be annoyed by if I was a jazz fan is that they get absolutely zero respect from the media
0: from how well
1: they're doing. And I don't expect them to get any respect kind of like the nuggets last year, as good as they were, nobody cared as good as this team gets. I, first of all, I don't think it's enough to beat either LA team, but second of all, I don't think anyone cares.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's definitely interesting. And that's it's got to be small market bias, I think. And I think it's because we don't take them seriously because of their playoff performances. Um, a couple of years ago when Donovan Mitchell beat OKC, everyone kind of like maybe saw the Jazz becoming a title contender after he did that as a rookie, like if he kept growing as a player. But I think that's kind of been squandered a little bit. People don't take them as seriously. And I think that's fair just because of what they've produced in the playoffs, but yeah, you're right. They're a, in my opinion, they're a unique team to watch. I don't know if they're a fun team to watch because they're still predicated mainly on defense. Like that is the backbone of this team and it is keeping them afloat. Like they're a top three seed in the West. That's something you can brag about. That's hard to do, but I was checking out the numbers because I was confused who was like playing well for them offensively. And even though Donovan Mitchell, is scoring 23 points per game. He's not doing it on, like, fantastic efficiency. It's really Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, and then some role, role guys keeping this offense afloat, which I think is super interesting and something we should look at because Donovan Mitchell getting paid huge money, right? Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich getting paid huge money, and those guys really aren't performing to their contracts right now, and I think it's interesting that they're still a top three seed in the uh, west so I was curious do you think they can sustain a top four seed in the west throughout the season or do you think they'll eventually slide down the rankings honestly I think they could hold maybe the fourth spot
1: Um, there's so many teams fighting for it so there's really no guarantee with any of those seeds I think outside the top two everybody's fighting Um, but The games that they've played against really good teams have been promising. They got whooped by Brooklyn, which was a weird one. But they beat Denver. They beat Milwaukee. They beat the Clippers. Uh, I think they – no, they lost to Phoenix. But the, the thing with the Utah Jazz is Donovan Mitchell doesn't take a ridiculous amount of shots. He hasn't been incredibly efficient. Um, but there's just a lot of guys on the team who can score like 12 to 18 a night. So they don't rely on Donovan Mitchell so much to take over for them. I wish that he would. Um, Cause he hasn't improved really from last season. I just, the, the more I look at this team, I just don't think they're good enough to get through the West. Um, and I don't see a lot of help coming. So I'm not sure when, if that would ever change for them. Like this seems to be what this team will be for the next couple of years is like just barely not good enough.
0: Yeah. And that's, I think that's why they went out and made the Mike Conley trade and did the boy on Bogdanovich signing, because I think they were at that point even before those two players had arrived. So it's an interesting layout of the Western Conference because the Jazz were fighting to be one of the teams to be considered a title contender and then LeBron and AD paired up, Kawhi and Paul George paired up and now they're just thrown out of the conversation completely because they are not in that category and it's just even with the people like Mike Conley and Boyan that doesn't push them to that next level so yeah I I just um I don't know where this is headed. Like you said, I think we need to see a big jump from Boyan Bogdanovich to make this team like a legitimate contender. And I want to give a quick shout out to Jordan Clarkson. I know I mentioned him previously, but that was one of the most confusing contracts I had seen in the uh, offseason, in my opinion. I think he got four years, $52 or something around there. And I just didn't really get it because he's kind of like a microwave guy he comes off the bench and just chucks like 18 shots and then that's his game. But it finally made sense to me, like looking back at this team's record and looking at the players who are struggling and looking who they, who they've played. He is a backup for Donovan Mitchell to carry the offensive load. If Mitchell isn't on one night, maybe he is, he comes off the bench and he hits five threes off the bench. You know what I mean? So It made a little more sense to me as I checked out the numbers and the lineups and see how that went. But yeah, hopefully Clarkson keeps it up. I I know we both had him in the running for sixth man of the year. I think that's definitely a possibility still. So yeah, the Jazz are a confusing team, but I I have hope for them, I think.
1: Yeah, Jordan Clarkson has been looking like a sixth man of the year candidate. Uh, I mean, like the front runner so far. I don't know that I could put anybody else ahead of him. Schroeder's been playing nice, but he's got a starting role now. Um, The thing with the Jazz that I've been really impressed with is they've focused a lot on shooting threes this year Mm -hmm. and they've done it really well. Clarkson's shooting 43% on seven attempts a game. Uh, He has just been an excellent spark plug off the bench and they get him wide open shots. Quinn Snyder's offense is good at getting wide open shots for their shooters. So obviously like 40 shooting above 40% probably isn't going to continue. Cause that's never been Jordan Clarkson, but he's getting lots of wide open shots. I think it's going to stay up there like maybe 38 to 40. I, I don't see it dropping that far. I don't know about you.
0: Yeah, no, I think I don't see it dropping too far either. He, I mean, he's a pretty effective shooter. Um, and like you said, that he gets open shots, especially with drive uh, penetrators like Mitchell on that team to like really suck in the attention and then he can just kick it out for an open three. So yeah, no, I, I see success for Clarkson definitely. I think he's probably the favorite for six man of the year. As of right now, I know we're only in, in like 15 or fewer games. But yeah, no, I, I see good things for the Jazz. Uh, we'll see if they can contend for like, a legitimate contender. But as of right now, they're... They're okay, but um, let's move on to the Suns. Um, I'll take this one. The Suns are the fourth seed in the West, and I do have some things to nip about this team, actually. Um, so DeAndre Ayton was my preseason put all your money, bet your house on he is the most improved player, and I have been pretty disappointed I'm not going to lie. And I don't actually think it's his fault too. So I want to get into that. But so let's start with, this is a Chris Paul led team. And we all knew once Chris Paul got signed to this team, they were going to be a half court offense and the pace was going to be super slow. If Chris Paul is your point guard, that's just how it's going to be. And it's worked for various teams over the decades, right? So I had no issue with that. But with that, I thought there was going to be a lot of Pick and roll and post touches for DeAndre Ayton. And there are from Chris Paul, but Devin Booker, if he touches the ball, he's going up with it. And it's something that kind of is bothering me. Because if you're the Suns organization and you drafted DeAndre Ayton number one overall to be a dominant big man who can score 20 points, play defense and grab 10 boards... That's just not what you're getting right now. He He's putting up the boards. He is playing great defense, which we thought wasn't even a possibility for him after seeing his rookie year. But he has improved greatly. He's playing great defense. But he is only scoring 12 points per game as a number one overall pick and what I presumed would be the second option on a, like, a top half Western Conference playoff contender. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've just been a little upset about how he isn't getting the touches that he should be. And I don't know. I think there's something to be unlocked with this Phoenix team before we get late into the year. I think you're absolutely
1: right with both of those points. Um, DeAndre Ayton hasn't always looked like he even deserves the touches. When you give it to him in the post, He is a really strong dude. He doesn't have incredible footwork yet, but he has some post moves and he's got the strength to move people out of the way. But what he's been resorting to a lot of is turning and facing up and then doing a mid range from right outside the paint. And he's got the skill set for it. And we've seen bigs who have been successful with that in the past but he, I think he would be better served just bullying his defenders and scoring in the post. Cause he could do that a lot. But the thing with this team is the shot distribution is really, really even among like five of their guys. And uh, so Jay Crowder shooting eight, Dario Saric shooting over eight a game, Cam Johnson, nine, a game, Aiton is 10, Bridges is 10. So there isn't a clear number two option. Devin Booker has given made himself the number one option, and I think that's understandable. He's been in a bit of a slump offensively. Uh, But the thing that I have been the most concerned about, I think it'll be fine eventually, but Chris Paul and Devin Booker don't really look like they know how to play together yet. Yep um we've had there was a clutch game from them early in the year where Chris Paul and Devin Booker both individually just hit the shots they needed to and won their team the game but it just doesn't look like they know how to best get themselves in position to score yet so Devin Booker's been taking a lot of like poorly advised shots and they haven't been falling
0: yeah no you're absolutely right and that was another concern I wanted to bring up um Devin Booker even though he's still scoring 22 points per game they're coming off of like more difficult shots it seems like like he scored 26 per game last year I think and it seems like he was able to do that because he was taking shots in the flow of the game rather than he's taken a fading contested three and still making it because he's a very talented player you know what I mean Mm -hmm. um And I think a part of why this is happening is because of what I mentioned earlier, the Chris Paul-led teams are slow-paced. You can't get an open three in transition very often because Chris is going to pound the ball into the ground and set up a half-court offense. So Devin Booker last year, he could just sprint to the wing, have his hands ready, catch and shoot, and that was it. And that was was a three-point bucket. Now it's defensive rebound. We grab the ball. We slowly bring it up the court. And then with the 18 seconds we have left on a shot clock, we run a play. And it is such a different style than what Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton are used to. I think it's just a chemistry issue as of right now. But I'm hoping that there maybe could be a compromise with Chris Paul, like maybe moving the ball up the court maybe faster or maybe DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker really put in the time to understand the type of offense that Chris Paul runs. I don't know which will happen, but I'm hoping one of the two does.
1: Yeah, I think pace is everything. I think you're exactly right that that's why they haven't exactly figured out how to play together yet. Because Ricky Rubio last year is a really good passer in transition. And he has, he's really, really skillful when it comes to just flying down the floor and finding an open shooter in one of the corners. Um, And yeah, and they, that's not their offense this year. I think they really have to get used to the pace. I, I mean, you could definitely in the minutes where you have someone like campaign out there over Chris Paul, you could run up the pace a bit. Um, But you want Chris Paul in your closing lineups and you want them to be familiar with that pace and comfortable with that pace. So you probably want to drill that throughout the whole game. Um, I don't really know. I mean, there's, there's not a lot to complain about with this team. They were garbage last season. So the fact that they're, I mean, up until the bubble. um, So the fact that they're fourth right now, like it's really, really good to see They've lost a handful of questionable games, like to the Pistons. But, I mean, I think they've been a weaker team because of COVID, because of people out for contact tracing reasons. Um, The thing I will say, DeAndre Ayton, I would love to see like maybe four more shots a game from him. Just I would want to see more emphasis on getting him touches over like everybody else on the team. I like that it's even, but I would like it more if – he was the clear
0: number two guy. And that's my biggest gripe as well. Um, I think it's so obvious that Booker's number one, Aiton's number two, and then Chris Paul is number three. I, I thought that was just like a given going into the season. But like you said, the shot distribution, like Dario Saric is only taking two less shots than DeAndre Aiton. Something is wrong with that. That needs to change and change quickly. Um yeah, I don't super get it. Um, hopefully they can find a way to get DeAndre more involved. And something right before we move on, last year, we viewed DeAndre Ayton as an offensive specialty center who couldn't play defense. This year, we view him as a defensive center who can't score. Like it's, It makes no sense to me. It's the complete inverse of what happened last year. And I know it's just because of chemistry, but it's a bummer to see him not scoring around 20 points per game because he's clearly capable of it. So hopefully the Suns can figure it out, decide what pace they want to run, and like you said, get familiar with those closing lineups too because they've lost some close games to, like you said, questionable teams. So, yeah, let's move on. Uh, next is the Trailblazers. Ben, you want to touch on them?
1: Next, I have San Antonio. Did I mess up my schedule? Are they yeah they're the the San. oh they're tied so San Antonio and Portland are tied so we'll go with Portland um that's okay the problems with Portland have been the same problems that they seem to have every single year which is that their centers can't stay healthy um they're uh sorry CJ and Dame have been excellent and I don't think that's a surprise I it's Possible CJ has been better to start the year than Dame, but they've both been pretty phenomenal. But I have no faith whatsoever in Ennis Cantor and Harry Giles as a center duo that can do anything defensively for this team. Um, And the other thing that I've been kind of disappointed in is it's possible that we've overrated Robert Covington a bit. Um, because he's not been shooting very well and his defense is just like slightly above average. I really thought he was a knockdown shooter. He had one of the worst shooting games I've ever seen the other day. I think he was one of 11 from three. It was pretty bad. Um. So yeah, the supporting cast has been weak.
0: Yeah, so firstly, I need to address the Robert Covington comment. Um, Go for it. All last year, when he got traded to Houston, he was getting a ton of props and well-deserved. But something I kept hearing that I didn't really understand was that he's better at guarding bigger people than normal threes. So like you'd rather stretch him to guard a four than a three, which is his natural position, offense position, at least. Right. Mm-hmm. And he, I thought the signing would really help their defense. It has not um, really at all. They're still pretty poor. And like you said, he is shooting garbage from everywhere. So he's not giving the defense I thought he was going to be giving and he's not shooting well, which I thought could, I didn't think he was an elite shooter, but I thought he was a passable like 36% three-point shooter. He is not that it seems this year. Um, yeah, I, I've been lit down greatly by the Robert Covington signing. I thought that was like a perfect match. And they gave up two first rounders for him. Um, Houston snagged that uh, trade. That That is a clear win for Houston. But yeah, that's a huge issue. He is not playing the way. The health of their centers is always an issue. That is unreal that it keeps happening to them. And today we just found out that CJ McCollum broke a bone in his foot. So that's this team is going to slide very, very far very soon because even in the bubble, when Dame put the team on his back, he had CJ there with him and Nurkic was healthy too. Like, this is a bad team with just Damian Lillard. And if they, if CJ's out for a month or more, it's going to be hard to see how they make the playoffs.
1: Yeah, man. With the strength of the West, you're definitely right that. Every single game matters here. Um, Yeah, their injuries have just killed them. And it's really unfortunate to see because every year we start the season with the Trailblazers as such a promising team. And then injuries just cap them so much. Uh, Zach Collins is out for the whole season. And Nurkic, he hasn't been excellent in the games that he's played. And then he broke his wrist. So I'm not sure if he had surgery. If he did, it, the, the time frame for him returning was like three months. And if he didn't, the time frame was like four to six weeks. Um, yeah, man, I, I was hoping we would see a little bit of a step up from Nasir Little and Anthony Simons and Gary Trent Jr. But they've just seems Gary Trent Jr. is a solid role player. Anthony Simons has been an OK role player. They haven't been anything special.
0: Yeah, I want to give credit to Anthony Simon's agent uh, making the whole league think that it's actually going to be something. That's incredible. Um, Yeah, that agent did an excellent job. But yeah, this team, I don't see great things ahead for them. Uh, I I can't see how they sustain a fifth seed in the West by by just Damian uh, Lillard by himself. I just don't think it's possible. Um, yeah. And I don't see, this is, I want to bring it all back to this and I don't know if they had the best package or anything like that, but if you were serious about getting James Harden, you should have given up everything, literally everything. CJ McCollum, even though he's playing great, should have got rid of him. Nurkic, if they wanted him, do it. I don't care. Literally get rid of every single player they wanted because if James Harden and Damian Lillard are together, you're actually a contender despite the rest of the roster. That's just the reality of it. Would it suck on defense? Probably. Could you find some people off the scrap heap to kind of put the team together? Maybe, but it would at least put you in the conversation. And now with these injuries racking up again, it just, they're not going to be in that. And Damian Lillard's years, how how many years are going to be wasted of Damian Lillard's career, you know? So it's tough to see this team really succeeding a bunch Um, this year hopefully it turns around next year but it's it's not looking good this year
1: yeah man with the the weak starts that Dallas and Denver have had I don't see Portland staying in the playoff conversation with the injuries that they've had Um, it's interesting about the the teams that should have considered a James Harden trade he is such a good player that you're right even if three out of your five players on a starting lineup are bad if you have dame lillard and james harden two of the top 10 players in the league you're gonna win most of your games um and yeah i don't know i'm not sure how real their conversations were i know that they had temporary talks earlier in the season about shipping cj mccollum i don't think they were ever that serious but they definitely should have been um I will say both CJ and Dame have looked like all stars to start the year, and it sucks that CJ's just got injured because the dude has yet to make an all star team, and he's an all star caliber player every year. I just I wanted this to be the year for him, and it depends on how long he's out. An injured foot, I think that the time frame on that's around a month, maybe a bit longer, but it depends on how bad the break is. I guess.
0: Yeah. And I wanted to mention that before we moved off the trailblazers too. Uh, He is kind of widely known as one of the best players in the league that hasn't made an all-star team. And this was his year to do it. He was coming out firing. Like you said, he could have been even considered playing better than Damian Lillard, his co-star. So yeah, no, I think that was, this was his year and it's just a shame he didn't get to, uh, Well, we'll see. He still has a possibility, but it's looking grim for him to make the all-star game, missing what seems to be a month, if not more. So, yeah, it's it's not looking good for his all-star hopes. Yeah, man. It's unfortunate.
1: But let's move on here to the San Antonio Spurs. They're tied with Portland for fifth and sixth. The thing I'm going to say about San Antonio is I don't understand what their plan is. This is the last year of DeMar DeRozan's contract, LaMarcus Aldridge's contract, Rudy Gay's contract, and Patty Mills. They all give significant minutes to this team. They all have a significant part of this team's wins. I don't know. Do you let DeMar DeRozan walk for nothing so that you can stay a bottom four to eight seed this year? Or do you go ship them for value? I'm not sure what their plan is. But, they, I mean, they've been good so far. I just don't know what they're doing.
0: Yeah, and that's a really good point. Um, I think the interesting part with DeMar DeRozan is who wants him, right? Like, even though he's playing really well for the Spurs team and is contributing to their wins, it's his contract is pretty big. He's kind of he's shown how good he is at facilitating this year. I I didn't see that in his game while he was in Toronto. But in, in San Antonio, he's added a new passing element playmaking element to his game but he's known as a scorer right so if you're a contending team are you going to bring DeMar DeRozan onto your team to take away touches from your quote-unquote stars probably not considering he's on the latter half of his career Um, I I don't really know I I think you kind of just let him walk which is crazy to say but I think the more value piece valuable piece between them is actually LaMarcus Aldridge I feel like big men are harder to come by in this league, even though DeMar's easily having the better season. I feel like a stretch five for a championship contending team that's maybe like one player away, that I feel like LaMarcus Aldridge is a better piece to move for the Spurs.
1: I would agree from a talent perspective, you're definitely right. I think LaMarcus Aldridge has a 15% trade kicker in his contract, so whatever team gets him is going to have to pay even more for him. Um, but I I would push back a little bit on the idea that not a lot of teams would want Demar Derozan. He has been really solid this year. I mean, we know what he is as an offensive player. He's not a dude who shoots threes very well. He's a dude who's excellent in the mid range and a pretty good finisher. So maybe there are less teams that really need that, but. The concern I would have more with DeRozan is any team that trades for him has no guarantee that he's going to stay on their team. So you're either renting him to hope that you do better this playoffs, or you're going to try to convince him that your city's worth sticking around for. And I am kind of expecting DeMar to ring chase when this free agency comes up. I'm expecting him to – sign a smaller deal maybe he won't maybe he'll take whatever pays him the most but he's got an interesting decision to make this free agency in terms of does he want to ring chase or does he want to just get the biggest contract he can before he loses out on his prime
0: yeah and i think i think you have a good point in terms of he's been playing really well and we kind of know what type of player is he is he's been pretty much the same player since his rookie year he's going to give you 20 points per game He's not going to hit the three very well, though, and that's kind of his gripe. But something I want to ask you is, in this upcoming free agency, how much money do you think he'll command? Because he's getting paid $27 million right now, and I don't think he'll get anywhere near that in free agency. So what do you think is worth it for Demar DeRozan to join your team? It's definitely a fair question. I wouldn't be
1: surprised to see him making over $20 million a year on a team that's desperate, um, not on a team that has any real chance to win. So it's kind of – he'll either take a – I don't know. I don't know what his ideal value would be, maybe somewhere around four years, $80 million, four years, $75 because he's a 20-point-per-game scorer, and he's talented. He's not untalented um i i still think it sounds like i'm a bit higher on him than you are but i don't know i think 20 million a year for him is not that crazy i don't know how many teams will pay that for four years just because he's 31 years old but he still gives you really productive minutes he's just limited in the fact that he doesn't take that many threes he hits him he's been hitting him at an average rate this season um but the, the Spurs kind of have that with a lot of their players. Rudy Gay and Patty Mills are both two dudes that they rely on a lot for offense this year. And, yeah. again, it's the last year of both of their contracts. They're both over 30. Rudy Gay's 34. There's no guarantee that he'll continue to play for that many more years. Yeah. Um, so the Spurs kind of have to make a decision on what they want to do with these veterans and if it's better to keep them to build chemistry or ship them for value
0: yeah and i think it's interesting like you said what is their plan right they have all these veterans with very limited time left on the spurs and then they have this young core on this on the team that i want to get into a little bit um DeJounte Murray Um, I loved him coming out of college Washington I knew he was just going to lock up anyone who was in front of him that was his whole thing in college he was able to play really really good defense on opposing guards and even forwards just because he's so long he can like poke the ball away from like a bigger player Um, and he is doing that in the league like he's a great defensive point guard and they have him locked up for a few more years so that's a good piece Heldon Johnson has surprised me greatly. Um, I did not expect him to do really anything in the league. Um, I don't know if that was an oversight by me or if he really worked hard since he got in the league, but he's a good stretch player. He shoots well from the three as a bigger bigger guy. Um, he's promising. Derek White, he's a good defender. He's a point guard. Like They have a few play. and before I forget him, Lonnie Walker as well. He's a freak athlete, like unreal. So that core four, that's a pretty impressive unit. And I don't know if any of them are going to turn into stars, but in my opinion, they're great surrounding players for a star. If you were to drop a star into that team, those young players to grow aside them is, in my opinion, a good core. So it's it's interesting to see what direction they go into, but I wanted to give those young players a shout out for sure.
1: Yeah, they're, they're definitely, they've got a promising future. That's why I would want the Spurs to look to trade DeRozan because San Antonio is not a place where key guys are going to sign. It's just not an interesting city. It's not a big market. So you really got to hope that you can trade for a guy and then convince them your culture is worth sticking around for. And I just, unless they draft a star, I don't see this team – being, I see this team being much worse next year because of all the guys that they're no longer going to have.
0: Yeah. And I think something we have to bring up as well is Popovich. Um, he, he's getting old in age. He seems to be having a good time coaching these young players, even though it doesn't look like they'll be making the playoffs this season. It, this kind of seems like a fluke to me, but he seems to be enjoying coaching the team. Um, and I think, like you said, free agent destinations, San Antonio, in my opinion, would be a free agent destination as long as Pop is there. Because one, there's no state tax, state income tax. And two, you have one of the greatest NBA coaches of all time. So I could see that possibly happening. But we have to wonder how many years left is Coach uh, Pop going to coach. So it's something to consider. I don't know. I probably see like two or three more years for Pop before they before he retires, but um, what do you think? I could see it happening at the
1: end of this offseason. This is the last year on his contract. Um, yeah. And he specifically signed a two-year contract. He didn't want it to be super long. He had talked about how he doesn't want to be a part of rebuilds. Um, yeah, he doesn't seem to, he seems to be enjoying it, but they're a scrappy team. This, this Spurs team has beaten some really good competition. So I'm sure he enjoys that part of it. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if they decide next year, if the guys like LaMarcus and DeRozan don't stick around and they decide to go into a rebuild, I could see him absolutely not sticking around.
0: All right, let's move on to the Warriors. Uh, the Warriors have snuck into the playoffs. Uh, ben, because you had them so high in the preseason, I want to hear your thoughts on them first.
1: So I'm going to start with the bad first, and that is still Ubre throwing bricks. Um, just unable to shoot and him and Wiggins are still looking for their shot way too much and not defaulting to Steph. My issue Steph is such an unselfish superstar. Sometimes it's to his team's detriment because he is willing. He's so willing to pass the ball to get other guys shots, but his shot is so much more efficient than pretty much anybody else on the team. Um, I want to, I still want to see him taking more shots and I still want to see Wiggins and Oubre taking less, but I mean, they've started to put together the offense a bit more. They've started to understand that, uh, I think Draymond's been a big piece of helping the rest of the guys understand that their shot is less important than Steph's shot. But I mean, they've been, they've stepped it up pretty well the past handful of games. They just beat the Lakers after coming back in the fourth. I, I don't. I don't see this team as a third seed anymore, but seven or eight, I think they could hover around here for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah. And I think I might have to eat crow here for a little bit, just because if you guys listen to our preseason breakdowns, I had the warriors in the dumps. Um, I basically called this team a G league team with Steph Not Basically. I did call them a G league team with Steph Curry on it. <laughs> And I mentioned that he would have to play like his unanimous MVP season to become a fifth seed. And he's playing ridiculous. Like he is carrying the team and he's brought them to the playoff. So I didn't think Steph playing like his unanimous MVP season was reachable. It does seem like he is able to achieve level nights like that, where he can literally just drag the team on his back. Like even if Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre aren't doing anything, um, I didn't know if that was going to be possible for a whole season. But as of right now, ever since Draymond come has come back, this team does look different. And it's pretty obvious when you watch. Um, Something I like, I want to talk about quickly, and it's just Andrew Wiggins, he started off the year so horribly. And I know you say he keeps looking for his shot, and he does. I completely agree. Like, sometimes there are shots where he takes and you're just like, why, why did you have to take that shit? But ever since that God awful start for like the first, I don't know, five or six games, he's rebounded pretty well. I think like he could have just folded for the rest of the season and just been trash and like not tried on defense or anything. But when I watch the warriors, which I do quite often, he tries on defense And he's, he's taking better shots, but he still has that tendency to just kind of like chuck every once in a while. But I want to commend Andrew Wiggins for kind of improving throughout the season. And I think that has a lot to do with Draymond too, like you were saying.
1: Yeah, the effort has been a lot better. Um, And it's been most noticeable defensively. He is always a dude that can score 20. Like if he wanted to on any game, he can score 20. His offensive effort is usually there but it's usually not on defense and he has been putting an effort on defense. The issue I've seen as well is James Wiseman has fallen into the kind of trap that a lot of rookie centers and rookie big men fall into where he just can't stop fouling. Um, His he's just not in the right positions. He's not good about getting his hands up. He's not good about timing for blocks. He just keeps whacking guys. And I expect that to go down But, I mean, we've seen with guys like Jaron Jackson Jr. that that sometimes takes years. And I hope that's not the case with him. I hope Draymond kind of speeds that up a bit. We've seen lots of clips of Draymond barking at Wiseman and giving him advice whenever he makes mistakes and helping him out. Um, But that's been something that's a little concerning is James Wiseman just hasn't been reliable as a defender yet.
0: Yeah, and I, we've mentioned him a bunch of times already, but I do want to talk about Draymond. His, his importance to this team cannot be underestimated. And I think I underestimated it a little bit because I called them a G League team because I could not see where the scoring was coming from. But I totally forgot, maybe not forgot, but underrated, how much Draymond Green helps open up the offense as a playmaking four. Like it doesn't just have to be Steph who makes the right pass. It can be Steph or Draymond. And that opens everything up because how many big men in the league can pass like Draymond or run an offense like Draymond? Not a lot. It's probably just Jokic and maybe Sabonis. Sabonis. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, he's in the upper echelon of playmaking bigs. And that opens up shots for other players that can't get the shot for themselves. Um, it's just a huge, huge advantage for a team like that, especially with the t- defensive tenacity he's bringing this year. Um, I know I spoke about it in the preseason. He was one of my dark horses for defensive player of the year. Um, I think that could happen the way he's playing right now. And, yeah, James Wiseman, I want to touch on him too. He, he Every game you see, like, one or two plays where you're just like, holy shit, who else in the league could do that? You know what I mean? Like, he mm-hmm. makes freakish plays but he's just a rookie, right? Like he, he's just inexperienced. You're right. He has a fouling problem and that's okay for now. But when they, if they stay in this playoff spot, which I think is achievable, he's going to have to bring that down because they're going to want him playing important minutes because of how talented he is. So yeah. And I think the Warriors have shocked me a little bit. I'm impressed.
1: Yeah. I I'll touch on Draymond a bit. I have in my notes that Draymond is no longer a scoring threat, but it doesn't matter. Um, Like his shooting, he was only a average shooter for one season. I think from three point range, he's always shot with a pretty ugly form. And I think he's abandoned that he's abandoned taking those shots completely, which is good for him. And it's good for the team, but You're right. Having a big man that you can run your offense through opens up so much shooting, which Kelly Oubre, when he doesn't have to think, if he can just catch and shoot or drive to the hoop, that is what he does best offensively. When you take all the thinking out of who to pass it to out of his head, I think that's perfect for this team. Um, Yeah, Draymond, the stats do not show what kind of an impact he has on the team. He puts up horrid horrid numbers like if you just looked at the box score every game you want to clown him for how poorly he plays but the impact is definitely felt
0: yeah and I want to touch on Ubre as well um I said earlier in the season I would trade him for a bag of potato chips <laughs> and even though he still is awful from three and I don't know if I see that even rebounding like through the season I don't see it happening um he is surprisingly impactful on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I always, we always knew he was a guy that worked hard to like improve on his game. But I, this is a new iteration of Kelly Oubre that I've seen because on Phoenix, he was a scorer. That was kind of his role. He was a slashing wing and now he's, I mean, he's still a slashing wing, but he's added intensity and defensive prowess to his game as well. Like, stripping balls, poking balls, loose, challenging dunks, which I saw on the Lakers game last night, even though we got slammed on for him to jump up there with Anthony Davis and even try to contest the shot that shows a defensive mindset that I think is important to the team. And like I said, preseason, the one aspect I found of this team interesting is their defensive potential because of the size they have and because of the wings they have. And I think I'm starting to see that with Wiggins trying on defense, Ubre trying on defense, Draymond being obviously one of the best defensive players in the league. And then Wiseman, even when he comes in, like he makes an impact by contesting and switching and stuff like that. So yeah, the, the team's impressed me a lot. I think they have a chance to be in the playoffs now, but I think it'll still be one of these lower seeds.
1: Yeah. I think the, uh, the point about their defense is really what's going to keep them in lots of these games because, and I think that, all goes a lot of that credit again goes to Draymond because he is constantly directing his guys about where they need to be when switches come watching out for this help defender here. He's just always, his defensive IQ is so high that even though Kelly Oubre has always been a willing defender, but he's not always in the best places to make good defensive plays like, he's always got effort. He just, the, the IQ doesn't always come to him, and Draymond is huge with that. Um, I don't see them being anything better than a seven seed this year. Um, I don't think, I don't see San Antonio staying as high as they've been either, but this seems to be, I expect Golden State to hover just a little bit above 500 throughout the year here.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, we should definitely keep a lookout for them. Uh, they've definitely impressed me so far this season. I thought they were going to be hovering on the lower end of the uh, Western Conference. Um, but yeah, Steph cannot be underestimated either. That's my last point. Uh, I don't know if we even mentioned him while we were talking about the team. He's he's just an animal. Um, people were questioning preseason, like, oh, is he the guy who can carry the team on his back? And I think that's kind of ridiculous. Uh, Steph's one of the greatest players to ever touch a court. Um, He upped his shot volume, and obviously he's going to carry the team. So uh, any words on that before we move on? He is
1: a monster, and he is,
0: like, one of the best offensive players ever. And,
1: yeah, anybody who doubted him just wanted to see him fail. Like, if you actually watch him, you can't doubt him. It it just – it's not – he passes the eye test so well. Like, it's never his fault when this team doesn't do well offensively.
0: All right. With that, we're going to move on to the Grizzlies. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies have come into the eighth spot in the Western Conference. And this shocked me a little bit. Uh, with John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. out, I thought they were going to tank badly. Um but some of their like role players and some of their normal players have really stepped up. And I think it's kind of incredible. And I think it's, I forget his name right now, but the coach of that team is unreal. I think his name's Taylor Jenkins, but last year they were projected to be the worst team in the league with Jaron Jackson and John Moran. They made it to the play-in spot and they unfortunately lost, but Jaron Jackson jr. Wasn't playing. So this team is an overachieving team, no matter what way you look at it. And I just want to talk about John Moran for a second. I had him preseason making an all NBA team, like guaranteed. And even though he missed some time, I still think that's in play. This dude is so good. Like we got to see him against the Suns. even though he only scored like 17 points or something with 17 assists, he closed that game out by himself in the last two minutes. Pick and roll, pass to the corner, Grayson Allen, open three, boom, down. Then he did a, I think he scored with the left hand, right? Like on the drive, pass DeAndre Ayton, who's mm-hmm. a great def- scored. Then gets back, takes the charge from CP3, ends the game. Like he is a, in my opinion, he's already a superstar. But obviously he's early in his career. I want to see his shooting get a little bit better. But just in terms of a winning player, a leader, and an example for a team, this dude's the full package. I freaking love that guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think superstar may be a little quick. He's certainly a star. Um, He's certainly got superstar potential. The thing that I've been the most impressed with the Grizzlies is that even without Jaron Jackson Jr., who is arguably their best defensive player, they're third in defensive rating. Yeah. Um, So they've still – held it down very well on the defensive end they've won their last five games against they beat philly they beat phoenix they beat brooklyn and then cleveland and minnesota which aren't as impressive but they beat really quality teams yeah we've seen role players on this team step up in big ways i watched uh i think his name's xavier tillman and he seems almost like a little baby draymond he can do a little bit of everything defensively. He's really, he looked really smart defensively. Um, I, I just didn't expect a lot of production from a lot of these guys and they've been great. The fact that they got any wins at all without John Morant was incredibly surprising to me. Um, I don't think either Kyrie or KD played in the game. The Nets lost, but regardless they won which i wasn't expecting brandon clark has been excellent his three-point shot is maybe the ugliest i've ever seen um but the things he does well he's been sticking to he's such a good role man he's such a good defender this team has a lot of overachievers it just seems like they all really really like playing together which is cool the one thing my my complaint if we're nitpicking what's wrong with this team yeah. It's injuries. And it's also what is the plan with Justice Winslow? This yeah. dude has it was so hyped up. I feel like when he went to Miami Heat when he was drafted, Danny Ainge tried to trade three first round draft picks to take him and the Heat didn't let us. I I don't know what you do with him. He's just he can't stay healthy and where is his, Where are his minutes going to come from? Whose minutes are you taking away from to give this dude minutes when he comes back?
0: Yeah, so all good points there. First, I want to touch on the rookies. Um, like you brought up, Xavier Tillman and Desmond Bain is playing well for them too. And as you guys know, I'm an NBA draft snob. So I go deep into these players before they get chosen. And Desmond Bain was kind of, he was one of the guys who was considered like, oh, this guy's going to be a three and D player. It was like him, Sadiq Bey, and someone else I'm forgetting. But he was one of the upper echelon picks in this draft that you could get for his role. And he's fulfilling it. And he's a grown ass man. That dude is big. I don't know if you guys have seen him, but he can put a body on people and stop him from, go- like, stop people from easily going into the paint. And like you were saying, Xavier Tillman, he's only six foot seven, but he's playing center. Uh, for Jonas Valanciunas right now. And like you said, he is kind of like baby Draymond. He just knows what he's doing defensively and he'll get easy buckets around the rim, but that's he knows his role. And I know we had a previous conversation about this, um, like the benefit to drafting a player who's played more than just one year in college is you kind of know who they are. That was what Xavier Tillman was at Michigan State. The dude, he was just in the right position playing the right way, and he did it alongside Jared Jackson Jr., actually, when he was a rookie. So, um, yeah, I I love their picks. It seems like they nailed another draft, which is just – I think it's like three in a row now. Um, They're doing great down there in Memphis. But I want to talk about Justin Winslow. That's a a pretty interesting point you brought up. I don't really know because his greatest skill set seems to be, like, handling the ball and being a facilitator. And they have John Morant, so they don't really need that. I mean, I guess you could use him as like a bench point guard, but it seems like they gave up too much for him to just be like that type of player.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe his best skill set would be helping run the bench unit. Um, You saw a little bit before he left Miami, He's his true position small forward, but he ran a bit of point guard for them towards the end of his career in Miami. Um, and he didn't do it incredibly well. Um, but yeah, he's a good ball handler. He's okay at setting up a half court offense. He's not bad at it, but it just seems like they don't need it anymore. And this was a dude where, where I watched him early in his career. I thought he was going to be really, really talented. And I just haven't seen enough minutes from him. Uh, but overall, I'm very impressed that they've been as good as they have been without Jaron Jackson Jr. I think this team's ceiling is just capped a bit due to the fact that they're all so young. I don't know of really any veteran players on this team.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think think they probably fall out, which is maybe – I know this sounds stupid, and this might just be me as like a media member thinking this, but I think it's okay for them to fall out of the playoffs this year. Obviously, you want John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. in important games, but I think a more important thing is to really shore out that roster and do it through the draft. Keep all the ages and timelines on the same track, so when you hit hit that time to actually go compete, everyone's ready. You know what I mean? Um, I I think it's beneficial for them to not make the playoffs, uh, as crazy as that sounds, but yeah, I don't, I don't see them making it anyways. Like even if they keep playing the way they're playing, like the teams we're about to touch on, the Nuggets and the Mavs aren't in the playoff race right now, and I, I can't see that going on for the entire season.
1: Yeah, yeah, Memphis is certainly not better than either of those teams. Uh, I don't think they're similar to OKC, where it doesn't matter at all if they don't get the first pick or the anywhere in the, like the top ten in the lottery because the talent they have is really good right now. Um, They just need more time to develop all of the players that they have. I think we'll start to see if we watch John Morant have a really, really good sophomore year, which I've expected. He put up 44 in the game opener. Um, I think we're going to start to see signings like Jay Crowder to Phoenix, where role players who are a bit, later in their years in the NBA, want to play with John Morant. Um, So even if they don't make the playoffs, I think you're right. As long as they're entertaining and they put up a good fight every game, I think that's going to help their free agency. Because Memphis is not a huge destination for anybody. Um, But this seems like a place where people would really want to play.
0: Yeah, and it seems like they have players that people would really like to play aside. Uh, John Moran seems widely respected throughout the league already by players like LeBron, KD, everything like that. And then you have Jaron Jackson Jr. Who I think is one of the most versatile defenders in the entire league. So I, I don't know. It seems plausible to me that like in a year or so with the growth from their star players already, that they could be a legitimate contender in the West. They just need maybe one more draft pick to hit and maybe a few free agents to sign. And then they're right there in the thick of things. So I know the importance of playing in playoff games cannot be understated, but I think one, instead of going to the playoffs this year, maybe one more player from the draft that hits is more important to sure out that roster. I think
1: that's probably fair. I think also you could consider trading Um, a few of your role guys for one solid player, like Dylan Brooks, D'Anthony Melton. If you find that, I mean, maybe it'll be better to let them all develop together, but there are only so many shots to go around. Um, If you could trade those guys and maybe get one B-plus type player to pair with John Morant and Jared Jackson Jr., that would definitely help them in the future. But they're definitely looking four to five years ahead instead of this year or next year, even to be the years that they try to really make a playoff push.
0: Yeah. I think next year they probably make it or come close to making it again, but I think you're right. I think they're maybe looking two or three years ahead to make a finals push like a legitimate contendership. So yeah, th- those are the top eight seeds and we're going to touch on two, two teams that are not in the playoffs just briefly because we think, We have to talk about them in these types of discussions. So Ben, do you want to talk about the Mavs or the Nuggets first? Uh,
1: I love the Nuggets. So we'll start with them. Both teams are six and seven here. Uh, The Nuggets, it's been frustrating to watch because their problem is so obvious. Their defense is just not good enough. Uh, Their offense is fantastic. I think they're still top three in offensive rating. And Jokic has been putting up an MVP season if his team could get him wins and they just really can't the other thing besides their defense, they just have a lot of inconsistent shooters on their team. Gary Harris. I've given up faith that he'll ever be an excellent three point shooter or even good. Uh, Will Barton has been incredibly streaky. Michael Porter jr. Has missed. I don't know. Nine games, 10 games to COVID. Um, He was, they were, they were, pretty quiet about what he was going through, but he's actually tested positive and he's been dealing with it. Um, they need to find really good defense. I also think Jamal Murray's been playing through an injury. He's He has a couple of bruises, he said, on his on the bones in his elbow that he's been playing through, and he says it hurts him every time he shoots. I don't know why he's out there, but they do need wins right now. So maybe he, he needs to be out there to get them. I just... It's, it's disappointing to see how they've started incorporating to green has been good for their defense, but they still need more.
0: Yeah. And we knew that was going to be the issue uh, coming into the season, but I did not think it would be this bad whatsoever. Um, I had them three in the West. I think you did as well. Um, they are not even in the playoffs right now, which seems pretty strange considering they made it to the Western conference finals. Um, But like you said, it's just defense and I'm trying to think of ways they can get defense on their team. Um, Before the season started, I think Will Barton was considered maybe a piece that they could trade off. And I don't think people want Will Barton anymore because he's just not playing very well. Um, I'm thinking of players in the league that maybe they could trade for like a PJ Tucker would be nice for that team, just someone who can guard multiple positions, but what do they have to get to get him, right? Because like you said, Paul Millsap is too old to be the pillar of your defense. It's just the truth. Jermichael Green, he's on the older half of his career too. And Jokic, we all know his offensive prowess. He is not a defender. He is just not a defender. And he shouldn't have to be. He's your best player. And he's running the offense through passing and through scoring. And I think he's pretty widely accepted as like a top five performer this season he has been unreal um but yeah i'm thinking of pieces they could give away to get defense and i don't think anyone wants them so it's tough to see how this team improves on defense and quickly i want to touch on jamal murray you know my opinion on jamal murray i think he was anointed a star or even a superstar in the bubble and i think that was a little premature and ridiculous. Um, even though we see stars are born in the playoffs, I still think that was way too, uh, premature. Um, and now we've seen him kind of come back to earth. And even though he's having all career highs in every category this year, which means he is improving. He isn't what people thought he was in the bubble. He's just not that guy. I saw multiple lists this year that had Jamal Murray over Donovan Mitchell and players like Tatum and Jalen Brown. It's not even close in my opinion. Um and I think they do need as much it doesn't it's not fair to ask but I think Jamal Murray needs to take another step up too for this team to like really um be formidable because they're going to have to outscore every team they play for the rest of the season. So I don't know, it just seems tough and something I want to mention before I hand it back over to you is they're 6 and 7. They could win two straight games and then the Grizzlies could lose two straight games and then they'd be in the playoffs. So it's not like a dire situation, but the way their defense is playing is very worrying.
1: Yeah, yeah, their defense, I mean, is the reason for all of their losses. The reason I'm a bit concerned is because their losses have been to the good teams. They lost to Phoenix. They lost to Dallas. They lost to Utah. When they play against teams that they should win, they usually beat them. I think they lost twice to Sacramento, but they they just had an awful start defensively to the year, like even worse than where they're at now. Yeah. Um, I, I've been giving Jamal Murray a lot of excuses, and it's probably that I'm giving him too much of the benefit of the doubt here. Um, I just heard some quotes about him in post-game interviews talking about how he's playing through injuries. You can tell when he plays that he's not really trying to get his shots up um when we watched him in the playoffs he was as aggressive as you can be taking all the shots he wanted and i liked seeing that because i I like that aggressiveness and it's not been here he is absent for like halves multiple halves he'll just like the entire first half he might be absent of a game um that absolutely has to change i don't think it's unrealistic to ask of more from him because he's only 23. So he has more room to grow. I was hoping this would be the year for a consistently good Jamal Murray, and it hasn't been. But outside of Jamal Murray and Jokic, they struggle with scoring, which is stupid because Jokic gets them wide open shots all the time, just like Gary Harris can't hit them. And Will Barton can't hit him. And I don't know Facundo Campazo is their rookie. He's been really fun to watch, but he's not a knockdown shooter. He's just someone who's good at setting up other guys. So when your other guys aren't hitting shots, it's hard to watch sometimes. I think they just, when Michael Porter Jr. comes back, their defense has started to figure it out a bit more. I think they'll be fine.
0: Yeah, I think they end up making the playoffs um, like, undoubtedly when you have a top 10 player like Jokic, you're probably going to be in the playoffs, but I do want to talk about Jamal Murray a little bit more. And you're right. The inconsistency is that's been his whole career. Um, People thought he was going to become a star two years ago. And then it was just like you said, off and on just kind of meh. And he goes from having nine, nine shot attempts in a game to having 27. It, it varies so greatly that you never know what you're going to get from him game to game. And I think it would really help this team if they had a consistent scoring force alongside Jokic, because like you said, besides Jokic and Murray, they are struggling to score. And I'll go, I'll harp on this too. They were a team that were rumored in the James Harden rumors if you actually want James Harden on your team, give up everything. Give up Murray. Give up Porter. Give up two first round picks. Like, do anything you have to do to get that player because I don't know. In my opinion, Jokic and Murray are never going to be in a championship window. That's just my view. The way Jokic, I think, is amazing and he's incredible and he's unstoppable. Murray, he's way too inconsistent and you can't count on him. So I don't think there even is a championship window to be opened with Harden there. I think there's an actual opportunity for you to go and steal a championship. So I don't know. What's, what's your opinion on that? I completely disagree. Okay. Um,
1: I don't think the, I think the Harden trade rumors with the nuggets were only rumors. I think it was a dude pretending to be a beat writer for the nuggets. Um. Because I thought – I saw as soon as it was posted, people clowned him for it. Um, but the the thing is, the age doesn't – the ages don't match up. Jokic is 25 years old. Harden's 31. But what? Um, Jokic's championship window is not this year. It's not next year. Like, he's got so long for them to build a really good team around him. And Jamal's 23. I think – shooting your future like absolutely demolishing your future for the the chance to win right now wouldn't be smart for this team um, obviously it would make them a contender but one of do you think Jokic and Harden together beat either LA team
0: I think they take it far I don't know if they beat them but I think they have the ability to take it to seven and who knows what happens in a game seven
1: because they took it to seven last year and they won against the Clippers. The, the nuggets did.
0: And I know that was
1: a failure of the Clippers and that shouldn't have happened, but it did happen. Um, This team has a lot of potential. I want to see, I think we just didn't see enough of Michael Porter jr. Cause I think that trio is enough offensively. They really need a strong defensive four uh, and I don't know where they'll really get that. But I think offensively, Jamal Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. are enough.
0: Let me rebuttal your point quickly with the question, do you think Jokic will ever be better than he is right at this moment? Um, I don't think it's, uh, yeah, I think I think that's possible. I think he is playing out of his freaking mind right now. And it's almost like cartoonish the things he's he's doing right now it's hard to see him like maybe he stays at the level he's at but does he ever get better I don't even see how that's freaking possible
1: yeah he's averaging a 25 point triple double right now it's 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 probably unrealistic to say that he does better than that but he's doing like he could do this watching him it doesn't seem like he's playing like
0: better than he should be right like Like, yes this is his his level that he's at right And what I'm saying is it doesn't matter what the ages are between Harden and Jokic go do it while he's playing like this in any amount of time. Like he could be playing like this for the next five years. You have to capitalize on it in those, in those five years, because when Jokic retires and he gets to three conference finals and never makes it to the NBA finals, will people care? I don't, that's not how the NBA legacy works, unfortunately. And I think if they had a chance to get a top six player paired with a top 10 player that you can't, you, you mortgage your future for an opportunity like that because you have to win a championship. I
1: guess, man. I mean, it's, it's definitely a fair argument. Adding James Harden to any team with a top 10 player, we've already said makes you a contender. Yeah. Um, I don't think that they're really trying to be, I think the reason they didn't do it, if it was a real Idea for them is that being a championship contender this year might not be what they're going for. I mean, they, of course, every team's going to say that that's what they want, but LeBron is getting old. It's probably a bad idea to just wait until he's old enough that he's not a threat anymore. Um, But the West is so good. I wouldn't, I, I don't think James Harden on this team guarantees you a finals appearance.
0: Yeah, I don't either. But I think it actually gives you a chance because the way the team's constructed right now, they have no chance. And if you're not as a team who made it to the Western Conference Finals the year prior, if you're not aiming for the NBA Finals the next year, what are you what are you aiming for? Like a playoff run? I don't know. That seems you're taking a step down. Usually you want to escalate. If you make the conference finals, your goal the next year should be the finals. And I think, in my opinion, those Harden rumors were real because MPJ was like an untouchable that they were considering moving for Harden. So I don't know how real they were. Like you said, people, someone was getting clowned for it. I thought maybe they were real, but regardless, the Nuggets are not playing well right now. And... We both think they'll turn it around and get into the playoffs. Um, let's move on to the Mavs. Uh, the Mavs have also been struggling, and they are also out of the playoffs. So what are you what are your opinion on them?
1: Uh, it's been weird watching them lose the last three or four games with Christoph Porzingis and Luca playing together. But it's obvious as to why, and that's because their supporting cast is all missing. Maxi Kleba and Dwight Powell haven't been playing. Uh, Dorian Anthony Smith hasn't been playing a whole lot so they're relying on KP and Luca to get them victories practically alone I mean Tim Hardaway Jr.'s out there he's had up and down nights Um, I think what you see is when these teams don't when a team that's really really good offensively doesn't have a strong defensive big they don't get wins and Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba bring a lot for them on defense. And the fact that they've been out hurts them a lot.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. And I, I predicted a couple episodes ago that Luka would really struggle until Chris Ops came back. And it was the opposite. He proved me wrong and he won three straight when I said that. And then once KP came back, I said, oh, now they're going to be on the right track. And it's been the opposite. So I've missed every take I've had with the Mavs this year. But the way they've lost the last three games is a little concerning. Um, I mean, the Bucs, they brought it to the bitter end, right? So that's a a good game, but they, they lost. Chicago, you can't lose by 16 to a team that me and you have pretty much pooped on week in, week out. Like They're not performing like they should be. Um, and then Toronto, who's pretty horrible this year for reasons unknown, gave them a smacking. So it's it's pretty weird to see them struggle the way, like you said, it does make sense. There are players missing, but most teams, if they have their two stars, can kind of make it work. Um, I know Kristaps is coming off a knee injury and he's super rusty and he hasn't played basketball in a long time. But it is a little weird. And I want to say that Seth Curry trade again, it's weird. I want to see more of Josh Richardson and I want to prove, I want him to prove me wrong because he hasn't been playing either. And they need that defensive presence next to Luca. So I want to see how much that impacts the team. But I want him to score efficiently too. I'd rather him take less shots and take better shots than him being like the forced third option. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely a fair critique. Josh Richardson needs to get healthy. Um, and I think that's really what's hurting them is it's Luca and KP. And then sometimes Tim Hardaway Jr. Shows up and then it's G leaguers basically. Um, you're relying on Willie Colley Stein to give you really effective minutes at the center position. And he's never been able to do that. Um, yeah, I need to see this team be healthy and I wasn't expecting the supporting cast to have health issues. I know the way COVID has been in the NBA that's kind of just a thing you have to expect is some guys are going to miss maybe a dozen games over the course of the season due to contact tracing because of how cautious they are. Um Yeah, man, I don't know I don't know what this team can do until those guys come back. It doesn't really seem like they're going to win games without Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba and Josh Richardson healthy.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Um, we said coming into the year, they would be the fifth seed barring injury. And what do you know? They've been struck by injury, um, which doesn't, I, it doesn't really shock me. I, I probably doesn't shock you either. Um, it is weird though, that it's the supporting cast and not the stars that have been injured because even though Luca's amazing, he does have injury history. I mean, I think he missed like three weeks last year with an ankle and he just was out that entire time. And Chris stops. We know the story with him. He gets injured every year for at least a third of the season. So um, yeah, it's weird to see them struggle so much, but it's not super surprising just because it's the injury bug that has them. But if you have a player like Luca, who in my opinion is a top five player, you're probably going to make the playoffs. I don't see them outside the playoffs for much longer, but like you said, that supporting cast has got to get healthy quick.
1: I'm going to push back on the, for much longer. We'll see how, how long they're out of the playoff picture. I think it may be a couple of weeks. I'm going to read you the teams that they play next. They play Indiana, San Antonio, Houston, Denver, Utah twice. And then Phoenix. I see them beating maybe houston because houston's been kind of a weak team um maybe san antonio but san antonio fights pretty well against the top teams but denver can win denver can beat them utah could beat them twice phoenix could beat them this could be a sloppy handful of games from them given that they have so many injuries i don't know how long they're all gonna last but as long as this team's not at 100 i could see them losing most of these
0: now that you say that and the quality of competition that they have in front of them, I think you're right. I don't think it's out of the ordinary for them to lose, like, what was that? One, two, three, four, seven games. I think they could probably lose like four to five of those. Yeah. Um, that won't help their playoff chances and other teams are going to win games while they're losing. So um, yeah, we'll see. We'll keep an eye on them. But in the grand scheme of things, I should say, I think they make the playoffs just because of the caliber of the player Luca is.
1: Yeah, I agree. I even expect some of these games. Uh, Dallas may deserve a loss in a couple of these upcoming games, but Luca just hero modes them out of them because uh, he does have that skill. But they're definitely going to struggle as long as they're not healthy.
0: All right. Well, I think that wraps up our Western Conference. The grass is greener episode uh thank you guys for listening ben any finishing words thanks everybody for listening in peace guys